This morning, we will read together from God's Word. We will read from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. That can be found on page 967 in the Bibles uh, on the chairs around you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. All right, good morning, y'all. Welcome to Trailhead. Uh, my name is Steve. I am the lead pastor. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. We are starting a new sermon series called Flourish, uh, and it is, connection with, it is connected with a, a series that, that we're going to be focusing on generosity. That, that's going to be the focus. We gave you a book as you came in, um, 21 Days Toward a Generous Life. Um, I think that's the title. Um, it is a book that uh, I co-wrote with um, Gary Rohrmeyer, who is our um, he was my church planning coach. He's a good friend of mine. He's also the regional director uh, for Convergement America, which is one of the networks to which we belong. Um, he has written numerous books over the years and, and invited me to co-write this one with him. So we did it this summer. It was, uh, it was a lot of work, um, and it was a lot of fun. I enjoy writing, um, and uh, I hope it's a blessing to you. Um, you guys are the first ones to hold it, which is awesome. This book just came out. Uh, and so it is our gift to you because, um, honestly, the 21-day devotional guide goes along with our sermon series. Um, we want you to be engaging and growing um, in the Word of God that leads you into engaging and growing in the grace of God, which frees you up to generosity. As many of you have heard, uh, we are launching a capital campaign. We've been talking about it with our members and our community groups and, and, and you know, doing quite a bit of work over the last six months on this thing. It is our second capital campaign. Our first one launched in 2013, and it was uh, exceptionally successful. I mean, it was really ridiculously successful. We set a $550,000 goal, which was pretty aggressive for us. And over the course of three years, we raised just under $700,000, um, which was phenomenal. And uh, it blew our minds, but that's what equipped us to get this building. Um, it was that uh, effort of generosity that actually equipped us to purchase this building. Um, and then it was our partnership with Converge that equipped us to renovate it because there was not a square foot in this building that did not need to be updated, um, changed, repaired. The bones were good, but it hadn't been updated in, in we'll just say, a lifetime. So it was a, uh, it was a long process. So our first capital campaign was called Rooted in Growing. Uh, it, was, it was our way of trying to say that, that it was our desire, it was our investment to see this church become rooted in our community so that it could grow in ministry and impact in this community with the grace of God. And um, the second campaign is called Flourish um, because now that we are rooted uh, and we are growing, right, that, that we are, we're no longer a church plant, we are a church. Um, and we are rooted in our community and we're growing in ministry. Um, it is time for us to uh, really flourish in fruitfulness. And so we created a video, this is kind of fun, um, to, uh, to help uh, launch the vision uh, of what we're doing. So let's go ahead and show the video.
From the beginning, I have dreamed of, of having something that, that feels authentic and real, where people can be themselves. This is a place where uh, I've been welcomed, a place where I've received love in the midst of difficult circumstances that I was going through. Grace is spoken here, and I felt that, that grace, that love, um, and transformed me. We want to order out our steps. We, we want to have all the plans, but we really are just traveling, right? That's where Trailhead, I think, is a powerful metaphor because he's the beginning of our story and he's the end of our story. And in the middle, we're just figuring out how to move forward in grace. We don't go to church, we are the church. The building we meet in is just a shell, it's just a place. It's the, the community of that is the true church. Trailer Church's mission is people. You know, so you should see people of all walks of life uh, in and through the church's doors. The makeup of Trailhead Church reflects the demographic of uh, our community of Edwardsville. The church has benefited greatly when she has all stages of life represented because it really is an intergenerational community that God's saving and that God's using. I mean, that is the church. Trailhead is located in downtown Edwardsville, uh, and we wanted to be in the downtown area because this is where the business is, this is where the action takes place, but it's also central. We have so many neighborhoods that kind of just hub off of here. From the beginning, we've done quite a bit of work just trying to serve people. Things like Affordable Christmas, where we invite people that are in kind of the lower economic rung to take part in a affordable Christmas for their kids. Another way is that we offer discounted counseling to those that can't afford it. Around us, I would also say our kids' ministry, there's a lot of parents that come and they're like, the kids' ministry is rocking. We have just a phenomenal college ministry. I think there's a strategic benefit to reaching students when they are in college, primarily because they are thinking through, what am I doing with my life? You know, what am I going to uh, be? What am I going to become? God's plan from the very beginning was for us to have relationship with Him. And we get to do it together. Uh, we get to invite others to join us and encourage each other along the way. And that's what Trailhead's all about. We're at a stage now, uh, we're established. We have a healthy culture. We're growing. And so I think one of, the, one of the coolest things as I think about Trailhead, it's our ability to send our people out into their communities to love. I want to see more churches planted. I want to see um, more lighthouses established. I want to see the invitation of the gospel pushed out in clarity into all the surrounding communities. Alden, Granite City, Highland, and then out from there. What does it look like when we plant a church for that church to plant a church and those churches to plant churches? That's a legacy that outlives us. We're all driven to experience the flourishing of life. We, we want deep and profound experiences of love. There is no deeper need of the human soul. So we've set a pretty aggressive goal for our capital campaign. We're trying to raise 1.1 million over the course of three years. We believe it's a way for us to 
uh, honor what God has given us. God has given us a tremendous gift in, in equipping us to get into this building, and we think um, we honor that gift by taking the initiative now to pay off that debt, equip Converge to invest in other churches, and free up our future so that we can continue uh, to be responsive to opportunities as they arise. Um, additionally, it'll also give us some money to invest, continue to invest into church planting and into our church planting partnerships. Um, we owe $900,000 on our building. And the reason we're raising more than that is so that we can set aside money specifically to invest into our next daughter church, um, as well as to continue to invest in our church planting partnerships so that we can see the gospel continue to flourish, not just at Trailhead, but through the partnerships that have equipped us to flourish. So we are going to take the next five weeks, and we're going to be digging into 2 Corinthians uh, 8 and 9, uh, the central passage in the New Testament that talks about giving and, and, and generosity. And I know some of you are like, great, this is a good time, Steve, for me to take a break from church. Um, money isn't my thing, right? I, I, talking about money, I, I just makes me hinky at church. I don't think I want to do that. Um, Here's the thing, if you don't like churches that talk about money, then, then honestly, you don't like churches that talk about what Jesus talked about. Uh, Jesus talked more about money than he did love, or heaven, or hell, or the three combined. Uh, and that's because what we do with our money is deeply spiritual. We don't like to think of it that way because that puts strings on it that we don't want attached. We want freedom. We want to be able to spend our money in our way. We want to indulge ourselves or protect ourselves or, or build ourselves up or establish our little kingdoms. And this idea that somehow um, our money is spiritual and in fact there are no artificial divides between sacred and secular. I got my church life and I got my financial life and I got my... That gets invasive, right? What we do with our money is deeply spiritual. What we do with our money shows us our hearts. If I take a look at, at your ledger, um, and if you're like, dude, I don't keep a ledger, I just, great, if I were to look at your bank statement I'm, or whatever, I could figure out what you love because your money goes to what you love. In fact, you know this, right? There are some things you hate spending money on. There are other things you love spending money on, right? The money can't jump out of your hand fast enough, Right? We, we invest in what we love. We sacrifice for what we love. We, we pour ourselves out to what we love. And our money will show us what we love. What we do with our money shows us our hearts. But here's a second and just as profound principle. What we do with our money doesn't just show our hearts. It shapes our hearts. In other words, we're not passive in this process. What we do with our money as disciples of Christ is spiritual. What we do with our monies, uh, what our money is either going to um, uh, it, it deepen our experience of our love for God, our worship for God, our experience of His grace, or it's going to continue to insulate us from that. And so, um, money. Money is connected to what we worship, therefore we need to talk about money because we will pour ourselves out to what we worship, looking for it to meet our deepest needs, to do for us ultimately what we really need God to do. And, and we're going to worship what we think is worthy of our devotion. We're going to pour ourselves out to whatever we think is going to actually bring us into the flourishing of life. We will. We were created to be worshiping beings. God is always pouring himself out in goodness and glory, in love and grace and justice and holiness. He is always pouring himself out. And we were created to always be responding 
to that outpouring and in response to pour ourselves out to Him, to give everything back in this mutuality of love. We were designed to worship. So the question isn't whether or not we will worship. The only question is what we will worship. The question is, where are we going to pour ourselves out? What are we going to look to to bring us into the flourishing of life? And here's the thing. There is no more powerful false gospel in, in the Western world than the false gospel of consumerism. And I, and I mean that very, it's, it is a false good news, a false gospel. It makes a promise, right? Consumerism, we're bombarded every single day with messages that say, if you can just get a little more, if you can just keep a little more. If you can just consume a little more, if you can just have one more experience, one more vacation, one more raise, one more promotion, one more nice car, a few more feet added to your house, if you can just have a little more, a little more, then you'll finally enter into the flourishing of life. It is a false gospel and it makes false promises. And yet we swim in that current along with everybody else in Western culture. And because we're carried along in that culture, we often don't examine the beliefs that drive our behavior. We subtly just adopt those beliefs that if I could just get a little more, then I will finally be a little more secure. If I can just get a little more, I'll finally be a little more significant. If I can just have one more experience, then I can finally have a little more joy. We need to examine the beliefs that drive our behavior. And so in order to do that, over the course of this series, each week I'm going to try to, to offer you what I consider a provocative question, a question that is designed to open up these unexamined beliefs that drive your behavior, that we might expose the false gospel for what it is, a lie, so that we can hear the genuine invitation of the gospel of grace. So today's question, right, the probing question we're going to be wrestling with today, what in fact makes us rich? What makes us rich? What are, what are true riches? All right? So, in order to dig into this, we're going to be looking at our passage because this is, in fact, where Paul begins in his conversation with the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 8, a little bit of background, Paul is raising money for poor believers in Jerusalem. So, poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And he's doing it um, hundreds of miles away in the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. So he's asking people who have never met these people, who are not of the same tribe as these people, who who really have no personal connection to these people, to make sacrifice in order to give money to these people. So he's writing to the Corinthians, who are Greeks um, in in a thriving metropolis, one of the economic centers of the ancient world, uh, to ask them to give generously for poor Hebrew Jewish believers in, in Jerusalem. In order to do that, the first thing he does is he tells them a story that challenges their understanding of wealth. Take a look at verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, we, he means he and and his, his traveling companions, his team, Titus, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So the first thing he wants to do is draw their attention to someone else's experience, the churches of Macedonia. Now, we have no idea who that is. Uh, The Corinthians would have known clearly. Macedonia was up north of Corinth. Um, It it was uh, what would be modern-day Syria. And and, um, you can read about how those churches were planted in Acts 16 and 17, but that area is made up of three churches primarily, all which Paul planted. So Paul went into an area called Philippi. 
And, and he shared the good news of Jesus' resurrection. He shared the good news of the gospel, and people started believing. And, and as people started believing, it started upsetting some of the local economy, uh, both of, of influence and power, as well as economic. And so as a result, persecution rose up against Paul, and, and they imprisoned him in Philippi. And uh, so the church is like, Paul, we've got to get you out of here. This is too hot, right? So Paul left, and, and he went on to Thessalonica, where he shared the gospel and talked about resurrection of Jesus and the good news of, of his resurrection and, and people started believing and all of a sudden it started upsetting that community as people were like man the power dynamics are shifting and the it's affecting the economy as people aren't enslaved to the same idolatries and so um, they rose up against Paul and in fact it became so intense that Paul had to be sent out by night right and this is this is Paul. Paul doesn't like to, right? But he's like, all right, all right, all right. So he sneaks out of the city by night. He goes to Berea. Berea is like this total out-of-the-way town, right? He's like, let me just go to this, this nowhereville for a while and share the gospel there while things cool down. So he goes to Berea and talks about the resurrection of Jesus and shares the good news and people become believers. And, and people follow him from the previous two cities to Berea, and start attacking him there to the point that they have to sneak him out by night, put him on a ship, and sail him down to Corinth. That's how these churches were planted. And after Paul left, these young, fledgling communities of faith, uh, maybe they didn't receive the same uh, vitriol that Paul, they wanted to kill Paul, but they continued to be persecuted communities. Right? In the ancient world, man, your tribe was, was your security, your tribe was your, your economic uh, opportunity. And, and when they became Christians, they, they started, instead of being part of the us, they became part of the them. And when they did that, they, they lost security. They lost financial opportunity. They, they came under genuine persecution, like physical threat to their well-being, loss of economic opportunity, loss of economic security, right? We're talking about genuine persecution. It, we're not, like, they weren't worried about somebody not wishing them happy holidays at Christmas, right? They, they were like under physical threat. They were, they were enduring genuine persecution. Um, and as a result, they were experiencing genuine financial hardship. They saw their personal wealth depleted. They saw their savings depleted. They saw uh, as, as, as life became more expensive because people were no longer um, giving them as, uh, the same opportunities, their income shrank because they were becoming alienated and persecuted. So, so Paul says, look at these guys. I want to tell you about something that's happening in these churches in Macedonia because they understand something about wealth that we need to see. Take a look at verse 2. In verse 2, he says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Did you pay attention to what just happened there? Because that makes no sense. I mean, it literally makes no sense. This does not add up. This is weirder than new math, okay? You can't... Let's just put the, put the algorithm up on the, on the screen so we can take a look at it here. Next slide. There we go. How does this add up? Take a look. So you have severe affliction, like genuine persecution, and then you add to that abundance of joy, and then you add to that extreme poverty. And what's the result of the equation? An overflowing wealth of generosity. That math don't add up. Not my experience. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, 
Like that math don't, if I have severe affliction and extreme poverty, generally when things get bad, I tighten up. When the hardships come, that, that's when I tighten the purse strings. That's, that's the time to, okay, yeah, there was, there was a time I could be generous. There was a time I could, I could help. But right now, I've got to take care of myself. Right now, I need to keep. Right now, I need to protect. Right now, I've got to keep what I have and get more because I, I, I'm under attack. My, my nest egg is shrinking. I, I will be so insecure. I, I, will lose, uh, I, I will lose things that make me significant. I will, I will lose things that give me joy, right? I'll have to stop eating avocado toast. I love avocado toast. Um, I'm one of those guys. I'm not afraid to admit it. Um, are you following me? This makes no sense. Take a look at verses 3 and 4. See where this goes. In verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, right? So they, 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 they gave according to what they had, what was appropriate to what they had, and they gave beyond their means. Like, they gave in a way that doesn't make sense. They, 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 they gave in a way that was appropriate to their means, and then they kept giving. And then he says, of their own accord. Not because I twisted their arm. Not because I preached some false prosperity gospel that if you give more God, you know, you're going to get more money. It wasn't selfishness. It wasn't greed. It wasn't manipulation. It was their own free will. They gave according to their means. And, and in fact, they gave according to the, beyond it, verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul's like, hey, y'all, you've done your part. That's good. And they're like, please, please, don't exclude us from this. They begged us for the favor of continuing to contribute. Yeah, this makes no sense. Not only does the math not add up, the behavior is, is, um, is ridiculous. It, it just does not make sense. Let me look at this in another way to expose why this is so strange to us. Look at the sandwich at the top, right? You got the white bread of severe affliction, in the middle, you got the, the good fillings of abundance of joy, and then you got the white bread of extreme poverty. That's your sandwich. The real question here is how in the world does abundance of joy survive in that environment? Because here's the thing we know abundance of joy leads to generosity. Do we not know that? Like, if everything's going really well for you, you get up in the morning and, and, and you woke up full of energy and, and the coffee tasted good and you hit every green light and you checked your email and the deal came through and, and you know, you're feeling really good about your lotto ticket, um, everything, everything's just going your way, right? You get to work, you're like, hey, you got a raise. Yeah. Isn't it easier to be generous when you have an abundance of joy? Isn't it just easier when everything's going your well, your way to be kind to people that you normally wouldn't be kind to, to give money to people you wouldn't normally give money to, to, to give yourself? Why? Because, because when you have an abundance of joy, you feel rich. Like, like you genuinely feel rich. You're, you're content. You feel secure. You feel significant. You, you, you have a deep-rested 
pleasure. When you're in that place, generosity is easy. Generosity just just flows. What doesn't make sense is how the abundance of joy survives in those conditions. Because for us, we're always looking to our outside circumstances to give us an internal experience. We're looking to our job. We're looking to our 401ks. We're looking to our income. We're looking to people's acceptance of us. We're looking, we're looking to, to traffic patterns. We're, we're looking to all these things outside of us. And if everything aligns, if all the stars are right, then I might feel joy. How in the world do they have an abundance of joy in a situation like that? where they are being resisted publicly, they're being mocked and ridiculed and and even at times physically assaulted. They, They are losing economic ground and moving into extreme poverty. Even though they are capable and productive and educated, all of their opportunities are drying up. How do you have an abundance of joy in a situation like that? And it's not just joy, it's an abundance of joy. It's like overflowing joy. It's like joy on your best day joy. It's like so much joy that you can't help but smile. How in the world do they have that? Not from their circumstances, but in spite of their affliction and poverty. There are two clear things that we can learn from this. The first is this. They're rich. They're rich in a way we don't understand. They're rich in a way that we can't buy. Because it doesn't matter how much money you have, you're still continually looking to your external circumstances, right? So the first thing is is they're rich in a way, I want to be rich. They're rich in a way that makes them independent from the external circumstances of life that secures them in a genuine joy, a genuine significance, a a genuine place of contented rest that is not dependent on external circumstances. They are rich. And that's the second thing is, is that they aren't rooted in their circumstances. They're not looking to something outside of themselves to give them something they desperately need inside of themselves. They bring what's inside of themselves into the environment that's outside of themselves. Their temperature isn't set by by the temperature around them. They're the ones that change the temperature of the room. They're not dependent. Jesus said that we're not to store up treasure where we're moth and rust can corrupt and thieves can steal. There's a different kind of wealth than, than what comes circumstantially outside of ourselves that we look to to make us secure or important or, 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 or rested. Or there, there's a wealth. These guys got it. It doesn't come from what they have or what they keep or what they experience. By how many vacations they get, what kind of food they can eat, what kind of car they can drive, the, the size or the impressiveness of their home, who, who recognizes them, who wants their, their, their business card. It's not dependent on any of these things. 
because it comes from within. And the result of that is that they have a security we just don't understand. There, there are no circumstances that can come that can rob them of that security. There's no humiliation that can come that can rob them of that significance. There is, there is no struggle that can come that, that can rob them of that contented restedness of the soul. They're rich. And in the end, that means there's no struggle that can come that can keep them from being generous. Because they are rich in abundant joy, they are free in genuine generosity. And Paul is saying, all right, do you see them? Like literally, do you, do you, do you see this? Do you want that? Do you want what they have? Do you want to be rich like they're rich? Do you want to have a security that isn't threatened by external threats? Do you want to have a significance that isn't measured by external admiration? Do you, do you want a rest that is, not, that is not given to you from external vacations or escapes or experiences? Do you want to carry your wealth within you so that it enriches your entire life? Do you see them? Now, some of you I know right now are, are pushing back against this. You're like, man, that sounds really good, but that's not reality. That's just not reality, right? Maybe they were delusional, right? Maybe in all of their affliction, somebody knocked them in the head a little too hard, and they were like, I'm happy, and they were like, oh, I'm so sad for you, Right? And maybe they were delusional. Maybe maybe they had a moment of generosity that they later regretted. Maybe in the moment they were so caught up in the offering, so caught up in the movement that they were like, I will give generously. And later they were like, oh man, we gave too much. We overextended ourselves. That was stupid. Now we're really poor, right? Maybe. Or maybe we're the ones that are delusional. Maybe we're the ones that have no grip on reality. Maybe we're the ones that don't see things right. There's a definition of insanity that says you keep doing the same thing over and over and over and each time you expect to get a different result. How many times have you thought all I need is a little more? A little more money a little more recognition, a little more prestige, a little more comfort, a little more vacation, a little more avocado on my toast. And how many times when you got it did you think, all I need is a little more? How many times do we have to go through that cycle before we realize we're running on a treadmill and we're not actually getting anywhere? How many times do we have to go through that process before we realize we're the ones that are delusional? That we are believing a lie and that lie is producing a behavior that brings us into a cycle of self-destruction that is actually robbing us of genuine riches even as we accumulate all the things we think are going to give it. What if we're the ones that have lost touch. See, Paul is saying, look, 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 
the Macedonians, just pause for a minute and look. Because they get it. They're rich. Man, do you have joy like that? If you don't, you should want it. Are you rich like that? If you're not, you should want it. Because here's the irony. It's already yours. Believer in Christ, it's already yours. See, the question isn't whether or not you're going to pour yourself out in the pursuit of flourishing. The question is is where you're going to pour yourself out. You are either going to adopt the lie of the false gospel of consumerism, or are you going to believe the gospel that your greatest treasure has already been given, your greatest problem has already been solved, your greatest debt's already been paid, and that the greatest treasure in the universe is not stuff, it's love. The greatest treasure in the universe is grace. Undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. See, the Macedonians wanted um, more grace. The Macedonians pursued true wealth. Now, here's a question for you. It's a theological question. If you're a believer in Jesus and you've been forgiven, you know, Jesus died for your sins and he rose again. He was your substitute in judgment so you could become his partner in blessing. He was your hero and and he became the embodiment of your rebellion against God and died under the weight of it. And then rose again and invites you into his very righteousness so that when you approach God, uh, you approach covered in Christ. And and when you believe in Jesus, you're given everything in Jesus. You don't have to earn anything else. He's already given it all, right? Ephesians 1 says that we have already been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. All the blessings of God have already been given to us. How can we get more grace when we've already been given all the grace God can give? We can't. But I guarantee you, you are not experiencing one small fraction of what you've been given. You already have all the treasure. You already have all the blessing. But you are only experiencing a tiny fraction of what God has given. You have all the grace. How much of it are you experiencing? How much of it is is every single day feeding your soul with joy? Every single day rooting you in, in genuine security? Every single day lifting your head with genuine significance. Every single day freeing you into abundant joy. See, to experience more grace, you don't need to get more grace. You need to respond more to the grace you've already been given. That's the key. You need to foster a heart of responsiveness to God. It is by responding to grace that we become believers. We hear the invitation of the gospel that Jesus died and rose again so that we can believe and and we can have our, our sins paid for and we can receive the righteousness of God. And the way we receive that is by responding to that message. That's called faith. 
We, we trust the God who loved us so much. The way we grow in that message is by continuing to respond. We need to continue to have a deep and profound experience of the grace of God. Let me show you something really cool in our passage. Because this is exactly what Paul's getting at. In verse 1, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He doesn't say, I want you to know about the generosity of the Macedonians. He doesn't say, I want you to know about how incredible they are. He doesn't say, I want you to, I want you to see what great people of faith they are. What does he say? I want you to see the grace of God that was given among the Macedonians. He's saying, look at the root. Because this is the fruit. That abundant joy that gives them this incredibly rich experience that's not dependent on their circumstances. You don't chase the fruit, you connect to the root. Right there's the root. It is the grace of God that gave them this freedom. Take a look down in verse uh, 3 and 4 where he says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That word for favor is the Greek word charis, which is grace. They begged us for the grace of taking part in the offering being taken for the saints. See, they wanted to move forward in generosity. Not just because they were good people. (laughs) They wanted to move forward in generosity because they were addicted to grace. (laughs) And they knew that by moving forward in generosity, they would increase their experience of grace. That the generosity of God given to us in the gift of Christ, is experienced more deeply as we move out in generosity and share that grace with others. As They're like, we want to be part of this, right? It's like the old movie where your hero is this kind of down and outer and he's trying to figure out his way out and he finds out there's a fix in on the race. He's like, man, I want to be in on the fix. And he comes and he begs them, please let me give you my entire life savings so I can be in on this race because I know there's going to be a huge payoff. The fix is in. They know what actually pays off. They're not trying to guess the next big stock. They're not trying to guess the, the, the big thing that's going to take off that could finally... It's already won. They just want to taste more of what's already been given. Please, please, please let us be part of the grace of this giving. Let us be generous in ways that, that allow us to experience more grace. Let us give. Because in being generous, we grow in our experience of grace. Y'all, there's a powerful dynamic at work here. God moves toward us in grace. We respond in, in love and humility, faith and gratitude. And that awakens within us uh, an increased experience for generosity. Right? The formula is really simple. Grace plus gratitude equals generosity. Right? Um, when God moves toward us in love, His grace is always surprising, because grace always is. It's one of the cool things about the treasure of grace, right? You can give me a car, and I might like it, right? 1965 split-window Corvette, if you want to know. Um, I will polish that thing. I will drive it. I will smile, right? 
But you know one thing that car's not going to do for me? It's not going to change me. It might give me temporary pleasure. It would. But it's not going to change me. You can give me money. You can give me, you can give me uh, uh, jewels. You can give me a cool car. You can give me a new house. All those things, man. Awesome. Love it. Great. It's not going to change me. See, the cool thing about the treasure of grace is that it not only enriches us, it transforms us. You can't receive grace without being changed by grace. It, it, it increases your capacity to experience joy. It doesn't just give you a temporary moment of joy. It actually increases your capacity to experience joy. Not only is it infinite in its, in it, in its power to enrich, it is infinite in its power to expand our ability to experience those riches. You cannot experience grace without being changed by grace. You can't experience love without being changed by love. Don't we already know this? This is all so obvious when we just say it out loud. You can't be loved without being changed by that love. Isn't that true? Right? If you've ever been loved, or willing you have, you know how transformative that experience is, how necessary that experience is. The grace of God should be continually surprising. See, if you grow cold to the gospel, if, you, if it just becomes religion to you, the gospel hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. You've just stopped responding to it. You have a, a treasure in your hands that has the power to completely transform you, and you've simply stopped responding to its power. We need to be amazed by grace. It's shocking. I mean, it is ridiculously shocking that the holy God of the universe would pay such a price to draw us near, and not only pay such a price to draw us near, but he's always expectantly and joyfully awaiting us drawing closer. Like right now, the God of the universe longs for you to respond to his love more deeply, more intimately, more powerfully than you currently are. That he might enrich you more than you can imagine with the security and the significance and the joy and the power that is yours because you are covered in the very resurrection righteousness of Christ. See, that awakens within us generosity. Generosity is, is, is when we are humbled by the gift. We look at it and it genuinely humbles our heart. We're like, holy cow, you would give me that? And we take joy in the giver. Like we love the giver because they've loved us. Gratitude is a response in which we are humbled and we take joy. And gratitude awakens abundant joy and deep contentment. And out of that flows very naturally uh, generosity. Generosity isn't a work that we do to impress God. It's the fruit of a heart that's been loved by God. Generosity is a response to grace. It's not my white knuckling in order to, okay, I'll manage my goods for, I'll give you this much as long as I can. No, man. Genuine generosity is a heart that's freed by a love that is free. Because we're no longer looking to our money to do for us what only God can do. We're no longer looking to our things to be for us what only God can be. We are actually feasting on the very presence, the grace, and the love of God. They begged. They begged to be part of the offering. They begged to experience the grace that would be theirs as they move forward in generosity. What they did with their money showed their heart. It showed them to be rich. What they did with their money shaped their heart. That's why they were so jealous to be part of the offering. That's why they begged to continue giving. It wasn't because they were great people. 
It was because they understood how great a grace they'd been given. And they wanted more of it. They wanted to expand the boundaries of their joy. They wanted to expand the boundaries of their security. They wanted to expand the boundaries of everything they had been given in Christ. Generosity is a response. And generosity is an investment. It's the primary way, generosity is the primary way we respond to the generosity of God and grace. But it is also a strategic and faith-driven step to increase our experience of that grace. As we push into generosity, it is our way of pushing forward in faith to experience more of what we've already been given. We already have all the riches. The question is, are we going to chase them? Are we going to continue pursuing the riches that don't enrich? Or are we going to actually believe the gospel and push into the incredible gift we've been given? So, in wrapping up, let me bring it back around to tie this in to our current effort uh, with our capital campaign. We've set a pretty aggressive goal. Over the course of three years, um, we are hoping to raise $1.1 million dollars which is exactly twice what we tried to raise the first time around. Um, That's a significant amount of money. And that's going to equip us to do three very practical things. One, we're going to be able to pay off the debt on our building. We currently owe about $915,000. We we have a 30-year note, which I'll explain that in a minute. There's no way a church or a business should be able to have a 30-year note, but we do, uh, at 4.5% interest. So we could pay it off over 30 years, right, at about $5,500 a month. And we'll end up spending almost $2 million in interest in order to do that, okay? Um, the reason we have such an incredible deal is because the money was loaned to us by Converge, our ministry partner, our denominational partner. When, when we raised the money to buy this building, we needed to get into it, and Converge said, we see a gospel opportunity, and we're going to invest into it. We think if we give you that money, you're going to be able to renovate this building, get into it very quickly, and have a bigger impact for the gospel in your community. And so they loaned us the money so that we could get in, renovate the building, and, and begin doing ministry out of, out of a new space, which we did, right? Um, and we have grown right? That has been a blessing to us. Their intention was never to make money off of us through interest. (laughs) Their intention was to equip us for gospel ministry. Then, as we grew and and as we prospered in that investment, um, it was always our intention to say, okay, we're going to pay that off as quickly as we can, because that equips Converge then to invest in other churches, to continue investing into the spread of the gospel in other communities with other young churches that are in similar situations that we were in to invest in their ability to become rooted in their communities and growing in gospel ministry. So when we pay this back, we're not just saving interest, um, we're honoring our gospel partner, Converge. And beyond that, I think we're honoring God who equipped it all to happen to begin with, right? God gave us this gift to get into this building. I don't think he wants us to coast now. I don't think he wants to be like, hey, I gave you this grace. Here's this great gift. Now, just coast for a while. Take it easy, right? The mission of the gospel is to continue pushing forward, um, to continue to see the gospel spread. We live in this unique overlap of the ages where we have this tiny little window. uh, We're waiting for the second coming of Christ. And in this time, we want to be faithful. And part of being faithful is being responsible to pay back what we've we've been given. And so we want to pay back the, the, the loan 
In addition to that, we're raising a little bit more money for the purpose of, of setting aside a nest egg for our next daughter church. Um, uh, in two years, strategically, um, we are working with Brian, our worship leader, to send him out. Um, right now, he's looking in Arizona, which is very far away, but God calls, we send. Um, but we want to be able to bless um, our, our, daughter, our next daughter church, whether that's in Arizona or in Alton, because we're actively working uh, in, in, in planting a church locally as well. Um, and then thirdly, we give 10% away. Uh, the first fruits principle is biblical, and, and we do it personally, and, and we do it um, as a church. And so we give 10% into kingdom growth, into, so we're going to reinvest that into um, the spread of the gospel um, by simply uh, giving it to those that will continue to equip the spread of the gospel. So what are we going to do right now, right? Where do we end this? What, what step do I want you to take today? Um, well, let me just close out with this verse. This is 2 Corinthians 8.5. This is the last verse of our passage. I'm going to put it on the screen behind us. Paul, talking about the Macedonians, says this, they, the Macedonians, gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the word of God to us. I think this is great advice for us right now. And I think this is how I think we should move forward. First, we need to give ourselves to the Lord. And then having given ourselves to the Lord, we need to ask the Lord how he wants us to give. And that's a process. Giving yourself first to the Lord, what does that even mean? Right? That, 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 that kind of language can always be so tricky. What does it mean to give yourself to the Lord? Well, I, I think it means to reawaken your responding love for God. To, to, what does it mean to give yourself fully to your spouse? What does it mean to give yourself fully to your children? It means to love them and be loved by them, right? It, it means you need to reawaken your experience of grace so that you re- have a genuine reawakening of gratitude. Like you are just once again surprised by grace. You are once again just humbled and lifted up by the love of God. You are once again honored to be crowned with glory because of the resurrection of Christ, right? Let's give ourselves to the Lord. Let us, let us once again push in and respond to this incredible message of the gospel. And then, having given ourselves to God, let's ask Him how He wants us to give. It's really important that we get that order right. Because if you try to do the second one first, you're going to have competing desires in your heart. You probably always will anyway, um, but you're going to be in really bad shape to compete with the greed of your heart. Because anytime we begin with how much do you want me to give, there's always a subtle message in the back of my mind that says, I hope it's not too much. Not that much. That would hurt. Don't, Don't ask me to do that. Why? Because I'm still subtly thinking that my treasure's out there. That my security comes from out there. That my joy comes from out there. That my significance comes from out there. Now, we need to get the order right. We need to give ourselves first to the Lord so that we have our deep needs for security and significance and joy and rest met in the, in the incredible outpouring of the grace of God. And then from that place of security, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do with the things you've entrusted to me? You've given them to me and you'll give me more. You're the one who lifts up. You're the one who casts down. You're the one who enriches. You're the one who gives the things I most deeply desire. What do you want me to do in obedience with what you've given me? Then you'll find freedom. Then you'll be able to give exactly as God leads you to give. Then you'll be able to discern. This is how God is calling me to give in this situation, in this way. And I'm telling you, whatever it is, I'm content. 
right? I'm not telling you how much to give. I'm going to give you a little secret. I'm not even telling you you have to give to us. I'm telling you, you've got to engage grace. And if you engage grace, God is going to lead you to give. Generosity is the natural outflow of grace. And, and for those who are really getting rich on grace, man, you're going to push into generosity because you want to experience more grace. Then ask God where to give. And wherever it is, I am content. Because my greatest desire for you is that you might be rich. Rich in grace. Rich in freedom. Rich in, in dignity. Rich. That's my desire. So let's do this, y'all. Grab the 21 Days book. Um, it, it goes along with our series. Uh, it, it will be a blessing to you. Um, and, and over the next four weeks, if you miss a day, just jump into the day that you miss. Not a big deal. It doesn't have to be done in 21 days, right? It's just 21 devotionals that can take place over three or four weeks, right? Um, but enter into it. Set some time aside to get into the Word, to pray. Because here's the thing, to... to, to um, to respond first to God is a process, isn't it? We're always fighting because, because everything in us grows cold to God. Everything, we don't trust, let's just be honest, we don't trust God's love. We often don't trust God's power. We often doubt His heart. We think He really isn't going to bless us the way He says He's going to bless us. We have to continually fight to respond to the gospel. So let's give ourselves some time to re-enter that glorious message and allow it to soften the hardness of our hearts, to reawaken within us a genuine trust, to reawaken within us a transforming experience of gratitude, right? So let's, let's commit to that process and allow God to do that in us, even, even as we're asking Him to do things through us, right? On your way out today, we're also going to be giving you a capital campaign booklet, and, and the purpose behind this is to give you information, one, about how much we're trying to raise, where it's going to go, uh, two, how we're going to use that money and how we're going to get there. There's actually a roadmap that we, we think is, is um, going to be helpful for us understanding how we're actually going to get to 1.1 million. And then a guide that'll help you actually kind of weigh through. How can I contribute? What, what can I, how can I be part of this, right? How can I, like the Macedonians, be part of, of, of this, this grace, right? So take that, pray over it, look at it, right? Um, but in the beginning, instead of trying to figure out how much, let's not start there. Like literally, let's start with the riches of God's grace. Let's, let's begin by pushing in to the gospel and allowing the grace of God to once again free our hearts and transform our experience. I'll let you know, since this is a capital campaign, there is an obvious beginning and end. It is a three-year campaign and and, and because of that, um, we will be taking a commitment Sunday um, on November 17th and 24th. So four weeks from now, we are going to be asking those of you who, who feel led by God to contribute to the campaign and to be part of it to, to let us know, uh, to share your commitment with us, okay? So just so you know, that's, that's on the table, that's out there. But for now, again, what I'm really asking is let's engage grace. Let's, let's just begin by giving ourselves first to the Lord. And then move on to the second step of, by the will of God, bringing ourselves um, to generosity. All right, let me close this in word of prayer. And um, we'll move into a time of response. Uh, and as we respond, let's refocus ourselves on the God who is so generous with us. And then we'll move into communion. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a generous God that you don't ask of us anything you haven't already demonstrated. You gave everything. You gave everything because it was everything we needed. You sacrificed. You paid the price. 
you suffered. You willingly entered into affliction. You, you willingly entered into um, our sin. That we might be delivered from it into your righteousness. Lord, that generosity, that love is overwhelming. And you know how weak we are. We start seeing things and valuing more. Um, trinkets and treasures more than grace. We grow cold to your love. We mistrust your heart. Lord, these are all things that only your grace can set right within us. So I pray, Lord, that this might be a season where we are reawakened to the joy of our salvation, that those who are far from God might genuinely hear the invitation to draw near and believe the gospel, that those who are followers of Christ might be reawakened to the dignity and the power and the beauty and the freedom of walking in grace that we might be a people who are not defined by the circumstances around us, whether they are favorable or, or we perceive them to be threatening. We might carry the genuine joy of those that are infinitely loved, infinitely secure, infinitely significant, and invited into the intimate and infinite pleasures that come from, from once again being reunited with the God who created us. We thank you for paying the price to give us this great blessing. Awaken us to how great a blessing it is. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.